Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome to episode 16221622 and I've got Evan my favorite rabbi here with me Evan how are you I'm doing great Jason so yeah. always fun to talk with you and learn with you and work together and do what we do Yeah good stuff absolutely I agree completely and Evan you are one of the most informed people I know. You're just a voracious reader. You really keep track of the news and what's going on in the world. And you were telling me about an interesting book that you're reading. I mean, uh, you just read everything. It's it's amazing. Uh, but what is the name of this book? Because you, you cited an interesting is... passage from it that confirmed one of my uh, one of my theories. This book is called Bubble in the Sun, the Florida boom of the 1920s and how it brought on the Great Depression. All right. So we're we're going back 100 years to the roaring 20s, folks. Now, I must remind you that this was two years after we had the Spanish flu pandemic that killed, what, 50 to 100 million people. They don't even know how many. And it started in Kansas or Kansas right. City. The There's another related point to that Roaring Twenties that actually I didn't mention to you before when we were talking, but that's actually very relevant. It talks about how Miami Beach was really founded in the 1910s and that because of World War I, Miami Beach started attracting tourists who would have been going to France, the south of France, or would have been going to the Riviera, these very high-end places, but they couldn't go overseas because of the war, so they traveled domestically to Miami Beach, just, just like today, saying about Airbnbs yeah. that people are going to stay where they can drive, stay in the United States right. and not overseas. And that happened because of World War One. Yeah. And, and then that built up Miami for after World War One. So, so let me just give a little backstory here uh, for those who may not know or if they did hear this before. They're not exactly connecting the dots. So Evan started out as a client. And he purchased a couple of properties and one of them, or a few properties, I don't know how many, I can't remember, but a few properties. And one of them was a short-term rental property in the one and only short-term rental market that we, we have ever sold. And that is St. Augustine, Florida. And he and his family are in their Airbnb property in St. Augustine, Florida right now as we speak. Now, what's interesting about this too is that Evan, you closed on that property and you were on the show talking about it before in what, like February? Yes. I wanted to go down for the closing just, you know, with Chicago in February. And I was trying to convince my wife that I, you know, had to go down there for the closing. But, but everything was really starting to freeze up by then with COVID. So, you know, I basically said, OK, I'll just do a mobile closing, thankfully. But it really closed February 25th. Right. Yeah. 
So yeah. you you purchased that property and then the lockdowns, shutdowns, quarantines, the pandemic, it all really went into full swing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you did not seem worried, but I must ask you just really candid, were you worried at all? A little bit. A little bit, but I was more worried when you were talking about the demise of short-term rentals. That's what got worried me because I, you know, I was just worried because you're usually right about these kind of things. And there was one point where I was very worried, and that was the month of May, because the governor of Florida shut down short-term rentals, which nobody understands why, because he didn't shut down hotels. But then- Well, really the hotels he, had better lobbyists. That's why. That's probably right. <laughs> He probably wants to run for president and Marriott and Hilton are probably big contributors. But then it really just started to boom. Literally, I mean, it just started to fill up and fill up and fill up. And the months, September usually slows down. There was no slowing down. And so there, that month of May, I was worried. But after that, it was smooth. And, and you made the statement to me just a few minutes ago before we started recording for this, that that property was a life changing decision. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, really, it remains to be seen, right? I mean, it's not a life-changing decision financially, but my wife and I, I mean, we we always love we love going to the beach. We love, you know, we love the warm weather, and we probably would have never bought a second home just because it didn't make financial sense. You know, I'm kind of prudent. I'm not going to buy a house that's going to sit empty most of the year. Right. But this gave us that opportunity to kind of buy a kind of house we'd eventually love to be in but also to make money with it. Yeah. And to and so that to me was kind of I hadn't thought of it. It was like a new way of thinking that this and I knew it was out there, but I didn't think you could cash flow an expensive house like this. And you showed me how. And you know, uh, our our local market specialist who we love, you know, he doesn't we don't you just use him for short-term rentals, we use him for other things. He showed me how. And that really helps. So I think it's life changing in the sense of, yeah, it's going to be very financially rewarding, but also just lifestyle rewarding. Yeah. So interestingly, the Airbnb and short term rental market has been really kind of split into two different camps. Some of them are really struggling. Urban, well, really three camps, maybe. Urban properties, really, really struggling. Things are very tough for short term rental owners or managers in urban markets, right? As yeah. they are for every property in an urban market, right? Right yeah. now. But also what I predicted at the beginning of this, which has come true, is that the short-term rentals that would do well were the ones where you could drive to them in less than four hours or so, and you could have a truly different experience than where you were driving from. So for your short-term rental, I mean, people come from all sorts of places, right? You know, you've been just totally booked up and you've been raking in the cash. It's been great for you. I know that. But they can drive from Atlanta. They can drive from Orlando to St. Augustine, Florida. And if you don't know where St. Augustine is, folks, just look it up. You know, it's outside of Jacksonville, Florida. And it's a really beautiful, charming little place. I'm going there in a few days. It's it's just it's America's oldest city. It's a it's not really a city, but it's a town, and it's just charming. And yeah. uh, people can drive and have a truly different experience and feel like they're on vacation. And yeah. I think that's the key. Those short-term rentals are working, and they've got to be in a low-density area like you you are, right? Yeah. Uh, so those are working great. 
but uh, many are suffering. So it's it's very mixed. Okay. The other thing you said that is that this it's a nice house, but this isn't a fancy house. It's it's the kind of house where during a recession, instead of one family staying here, three families could come and stay here, and they would have enough room. So and it's it's kind of utilitarian. It's not. It's very close to the ocean, but it's not this huge palatial ocean house that costs a million dollars. So, you know, in a bad month, I can cover the mortgage. It's not so. And how, how much was it? Like four hundred thousand? Yeah, well, four sixty nine, but that included all the furnishings. Okay, so yeah. so maybe thirty thousand in furniture, so four hundred and thirty thousand dollars, forty thousand in furniture, something like that, probably. There are Airbnbs around here that I saw that are nine ninety five a million. Yeah, you know. I would I would never buy one of those because it's just too too big. Too, too risky. Got it. Got yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, we covered the short term rental thing. Now let's go back to the book. What's yeah. the title of that book again? Because oh yeah, Bubble in the Sun. Okay, Bubble in the Sun, and it's about the 1920s, the Roaring Twenties, and yeah. it's about Florida. You know, Florida was famous in that era for you know you all heard the term swampland in Florida, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, there used to be a lot of sleazy promoters promoting Florida properties 100 years ago. And guess what? There are still sleazy promoters promoting properties today 100 years later, okay? Um, but we're not one of them. Uh, so what was interesting is that passage you shared with me before we started recording for this, yeah. and that was about the automobile. Yeah. Uh, read that, if you would. Share that with our listeners. The invention of the automobile has had more influence on society than the combined exploits of Napoleon, Genghis Khan, and Julius Caesar. <laughs> wow. The auto industry would be instrumental in creating the consumer goods-oriented society that we inhabit today. It would contribute to the emergence of the vast expanse of American suburbs, where it soon changed the architecture of the American home, biting carports and then garages to bungalows and single-family residents. Equally, it brought an end to rural isolation and largely freed the homemaker from the house. And basically, the point he makes is that the automobile essentially turned all of American raw land into real estate. Okay, well, well, he said that exactly. So read that. Do you have that piece was telling? The automobile, more than the railroad, the streetcar, or any other factor, turned the American landscape from raw land into real estate. It did so by making the land accessible and thus developable. Its value could be easily established, enhanced, and commodified. Okay. So now let's go 100 years later, fast forward, okay, to 100 years later. And what I've been talking about starting about eight years ago is the autonomous automobile, the self-driving car. And it's interesting. I was reading about it again today. I've been talking about it for eight years at least. You had a thought about the corollary to to that quote in the book. Well, you've said that you could imagine a time when if you're if you like to surf and let's say you don't want to live in the Socialist Republic of California anymore. We used to live in Newport Beach and you like to surf, but you decide to move to Phoenix. You could hop in a self-driving car. Let's say you hop in at 11 11 p.m. or midnight, go to sleep, wake up six hours later, seven hours later, whatever time, refreshed at the beach, surf all day, 
take your car back, stay overnight if you want. You don't have to live there or pay the taxes. And that you can still have some of that beautiful lifestyle aspects while living in a totally different place. Yeah. That's a game changer. Yeah. And so just to add to that, and, and you got that right, I gave the example of a person who worked Monday through Friday, and on Friday night, they hung out at home, they watched a movie, they had dinner, they relaxed, and then at 11 p.m., they got in their car and went to bed. Right. Okay. And yeah. then, you know, I mean, they'd get there faster, but, you know, at 7 a.m., for example, they wake up, they're in Newport Beach or they're in La Jolla, they're in San Diego, and, you know, they wake up refreshed, they've got their surfboard on the top of the car, and they get out, they go surfing all day, and then, you know, maybe they have dinner in San Diego or Newport Beach, and then they decide, well, you know, I, I think I'll just go back home to Phoenix. And, you know, maybe it's a guy and, you know, he surfs, but uh, he has a family and he wants to live in Phoenix because, you know, the house, he can buy a nice house there for, I mean, it's gone up now, but say it's a, a $700,000 nice house in Phoenix that would be a, equivalent to a $3 million house in La Jolla or Newport Beach, okay? So the self-driving car just changes the game. It right. completely changes everything. And what it does is it disrupts the high-priced real estate market, and it allocates some of that value to lower-priced real estate markets. And guess what, listeners? For the last 17 years, I've been helping you invest in these lower-priced real estate markets. Okay, so you're already there, and I must give you some sound effect on that. <laughs> Cha-ching. And I think, obviously, the pandemic, the fact that more people can work from home just makes this even more likely. I mean, what sparked this, we were talking today, is, you know, Apple, which, you know, we don't, we don't advise investing in stocks, but, you know, I look at it sometimes to CNBC. Apple stock popped a whole bunch today. And the reason is there was a report that they're working on a self, they're working on more self-driving car technology to come out in 2024. And we know Apple is really good with consumer products and great with making something popular. You know, they, they take, they take another person's idea and they turn it into this massively popular consumer goods. So that's a signal. Maybe the self-driving car really will start to accelerate and start to really appear more widely. And, and I read an article today about uh, Tesla's, uh, they made an announcement and Elon is, notoriously bad at keeping promises and he's you know notoriously bad at deadlines but they do eventually come he says they will be again he said this before it's not the first time okay but whatever take it with a grain of salt he's out again saying that full self-driving is right here now i can tell you my new car okay that costs dramatically less than a tesla okay uh, and I had two Teslas a couple of years, you know, three years ago. I had a Model X and a Model S. I had both of them. You know, my new car for less money is better than the Teslas were three years ago, dramatically better. And it doesn't even market itself as a self-driving car. Right. Just the self-driving functionality in that, it stays in the lane incredibly well. It stops and goes you know, you got to put your hand on the wheel because the car beeps at you if you don't, but you right. really don't need your hands on the wheel. 
It's absolutely incredible. It's so impressive. I, I mean, and that is a game changer. It is a total game changer. And remember, we are all about suburbia. And for eight years, I've been saying the rise of suburbia. Now I got to, and we're going to get into some housing inventory stuff because you got a really interesting thing from the calculated risk blog that we want to talk about, but just, you know, a little more on this. Uh, for a moment. I just got to give my backstory here for a moment. Um, as a younger single guy living in Irvine, California and Newport Beach, California, I got to tell you, for many years, I hated living in suburbia. And I right. always wanted to live in a city where there'd be, you know, a younger population, right. a larger single population. I mean, I lived in Familyville, I was bored. Now, granted, I made, but, yeah. well, I was working and I made a lot of money selling right. houses for families. Okay. Uh, so, you know, business was great. And, you know, those are beautiful areas. Okay. But they are kind of boring. And I remember once I posted on Facebook, this was, you know, 10 years ago, probably, because Irvine, California always seems to make the FBI list every single year of one of the safest cities in America. They do a ranking every year, the FBI does. So I posted a, a link to the article and I said, congratulations to Irvine. Uh, they're the number one safest city in America again. And here's the thing about that. It's great that if you live in Irvine, you know you'll never die. The only problem is it's so boring that you may never actually live in the first place. <laughs> you know, but but you know, I'm I'm sort of half kidding. It's not really that boring. Okay, listen, you if, you, if you if you have kids and you're going to soccer games, you know, it's great. Okay, but, but I did not love it. Los okay? Angeles, it's too far. You were working yeah. morning, noon, and night, so and the traffic's so bad that you couldn't live in Los Angeles and drive out right. to Orange County. And, and listen, too- you know, go on YouTube. And watch some of Paul Joseph Weston's videos, or Watson, Weston, Watson. I don't know. You know who I mean. He's yeah. a hugely big YouTuber, and you know he has a video called "L.A. is a shithole." Okay, and, and you know, listen, I grew up in L.A. I don't. It does. It pains me yeah. to say that, but it's a disaster. It really is. So I don't want to go yeah. to L.A. Okay. Um, are we done on the self-driving car yeah. and the automobile yeah. in general and all that stuff? And tell us well, more about that book later too. Yeah, and but the the bottom line is, self driving cars are going to make the the single family homes you buy, we all buy, more valuable. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and it just it's the same same forces that are propelling that are propelling the increases right now will just continue in other ways. Yeah. So the rise of suburbia that has been accelerated that I predicted eight years ago that's been accelerated this year due to COVID and due to the Joe Biden campaign rallies. I mean, the riots and uh, burning down and breaking windows, Joe Biden campaign rallies, uh, same thing. Anyway, uh, so uh, I hope people get that, what my joke is, right? I read this article. I think it was a great joke. It said, you know, maybe... If a politician can win by staying in their home and doing nothing, maybe all politicians should just stay in their houses and do nothing. That would be great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That would be a good idea. So the rise of suburbia is upon us, and it's had an acceleration this year. But the autonomous vehicle is only a few years away, and it's going to have another huge push. So folks, all of these suburban properties that you find at 
jasonhartman.com slash properties. That's and talk J- to your investment counselor. Yes. jasonhartman.com slash properties. <laughs> Shameless self-promotion there. All of those properties, many of you are clients. You've been listening to us for years. And you congratulations, because you're about to see a, a big bump in value. I mean, listen, there are other factors, obviously. But I'm just telling you, the self-driving car is a game changer for your suburban properties. It makes them much more valuable. The example of uh, that um, Evan gave that I shared from years ago about the surfer who moved to Phoenix but still likes to surf on Saturday, that's quantifiable. But what about the couple who, you know, moved to boring suburbia, but, you know, when it opens up again, okay, it's not open now, but it will open again someday, Take Broadway, right? Take, you know, the attractions like the arts and the opera and, and, you know, what is available in urban areas, right? Well, they, they could go, they could, you know, leave their house dressed up at six o'clock in the evening. They arrive all relaxed and nice and in the car on the way there. You know, they have a a glass of wine, a glass of champagne. You can drink and drive if you're not driving. Okay. The car is driving. (laughs) Okay. And then they can go to the opera. And then afterwards, they can go to a bar or a nightclub or to watch some music. They can have as many drinks as they want. They get in their self-driving car and they're ushered home safely. So it's a game changer. They don't have to live in that expensive real estate environment anymore. They can live anywhere they want. And sometimes we're a little hard on cities on this podcast, but I'm not anti-city. I love visiting New York City or, you know, and actually self-driving car will make some of the great parts of a city even more accessible. It's just you won't have to live there. You won't have to deal with the traffic. I I like cities, too. I think they're great. I just don't want to live in one. And I, you know, I might want to live in one if the prices were reasonable, but they're totally unreasonable. And so are the taxes. So the game changer is is happening okay it is happening right before our eyes so congratulations to all of you clients who are investing through our our network and all of you who aren't yet reach out to us jasonhartman.com or 1-800-HARTMAN and evan now let's talk about this fascinating article on housing inventory well there's a couple things here one thing is it just talks about how inventory it's just so low and it's the lowest it's ever been since they started recording statistics in 1982. And uh, one of the things it, it was starting to, it was lower starting in about 2012 through 2017. Then it started to level in 2017 through 2019. It was pretty steady. And then in 2020, it went way down. Few reasons. One is people didn't want to sell their homes because of COVID. Um, that was a huge thing. And the other is uh, obviously people weren't building as much because of COVID. But the other part of this, and we've talked about inventory, you've taught us so much about this. The other part of this article that was really interesting was the rental forecast for the next 10 years and, and, and how the demographics, well, two things. One, there's going to be a lot more home buyers as millennials reach the age where they can really afford to buy homes. And we're starting to see some of that now during COVID. Um, but also, as you've talked about, the price to buy a home is going to be so high that there's still going to have to be a lot of renters. There's still going to be a lot of renters. 
And this is one thing that I've learned in working with clients. Everyone's always worried about, oh, when is my house going to be vacant? When is my house going to be vacant? Am I going to have a tenant right away? And we all want to have tenants right away. But I've started to tell clients- Did you mean to say, when is my house going to be rented? Rented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When when it's going to be rented. That that people are worried if there's not a tenant in place the day it closes. And they're worried, well, what if I get vacancies? And I've kind of learned, and I'm trying to encourage clients, is vacancies are not going to be a problem especially where we're buying because the the most important thing is getting the right property and getting the right team vacancies. There is always going to be demand because the places we're buying, the population is growing and the renter demographics are very, very favorable. And this was just more evidence of that in this article. Yeah. Okay. So tell us more detail about it though, because one of the things the article talks about, and this is a very well done study of this you know there are charts and graphs and bullet points it's it's well done but it does say that even though inventory is incredibly tight and incredibly scarce right now it does say that it is going to loosen a little bit by mid 2021 and it's gonna it's we're gonna get a little bit of relief it's not saying it's gonna be anything dramatic but it's gonna be better and I guess that's because their their uh, thesis is that the builders are yeah. really ramping up and they're going to start to come online. Uh, well, supply and demand, right? Right. I mean, supply and demand is, is yeah. Here it says um, in 2020, inventory really declined due to a combination of potential sellers keeping their properties off the market during a pandemic and a pickup in buying due to record low mortgage rates and move away from multifamily and strong second home buying. At the same time, demographics are now favorable for home buying. And he says here that this was the really what, what you just referred to. Making the assumption that pandemic will mostly be over by 2021, we can make a few general predictions. Potential sellers will be more willing to sell their homes and allow strangers into their homes. The move away from dense cities will slow. That will change when the pandemic ends and cities will be attractive once again. Of course, the trends towards working, towards remote working, online shopping, and home entertainment will likely continue, and this will allow some people to live anywhere. Three, demographics will be favorable for home buying. The generation moving into the home buying years is much larger than the leading edge of the boomers that will be downsizing or moving into retirement communities. Four, mortgage rates are probably close to a bottom now. Hint, those of you who want to buy right now, buy right now. But it seems unlikely rates will increase quickly with the Fed will be holding down rates for the foreseeable future. Five, Home builders will continue to respond to low inventories and housing starts will likely increase further in the second half of 2021. Okay, thank you for sharing that. Now, I want to make a very important point. Are you all listening and are all all of you ready for the very important point? (laughs) I just want to make sure you catch this very important point. Okay. (laughs) I hope you're paying attention now. Inventory is not a generic concept. The inventory that will be created when there is a little bit of relief in inventory is not going to be inventory that you as an investor are going to be the least bit interested in. It's going to be way too expensive for you. Builders are not building any entry-level anything, okay? They can't. The government 
has put so many restrictions on them and made building so expensive. And lumber prices. Lumber prices, steel prices, everything prices, you know, whatever, right? They have made it so expensive that they cannot make a small basic house pencil out. They can only build upper, middle, and high-end houses. That's the only thing that really pencils with a few exceptions of, you know, a few production builders that are willing to build the lower-end stuff. And by and large, in the overall scheme of things, that is nothing. Right. It's like nothing in terms of the overall market size, okay? Now, we've got a few of those that we have scouted out for you at great expense, okay? (laughs) And with great effort, you can find out about those. You can talk to Evan or our other team members. You can see them at jasonhartman.com and... And we'd be happy to help you with them. So I just want everybody to understand that very important point that inventory is not the exact inventory you're necessarily looking for as an investor. It's just inventory is a generic concept. So, yeah. but but what it does is it's at, to our advantage because it pushes home prices up. Of course, you know, it's more, yeah. Once so, you're once you're in the game, it's to your advantage. But if you're not in the game, it's to your disadvantage. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And we may have to revise those rules because I remember one thing I learned from you early on is you said if a house is over two hundred fifty thousand dollars, you should probably rent it. If it's under, you should probably buy it. We're going we to have to buy that a little the, upward. Yeah, we have to yeah. revise the numbers upward. So yeah. now I'll I'll add like a hundred thousand dollars to that probably, and say if it's over three fifty, you know, yeah. there are other reasons to buy a house and rent a house. You know, for your personal use is what we're talking about there. But that that's another subject for another day. Okay. Yeah. So well, we get a lot. This inventory, as you taught, is so connected to price, and and. But even more so, the kind of inventory we have, because it's not being built anymore, it's even it's even better. It's it, 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 supply and it all goes back to supply and demand. The the kind of housing that we have is in high demand for renters, and the supply is just not there. Especially yeah. right now, the no. eviction on uh, uh, foreclosures. There's not many foreclosures happening. The, yeah. the existing supply is even more valuable. The, the, the foreclosures will increase. The evictions right. will will hit. And there will be a wave of that, but that, again, mostly affects, well, the evictions mostly affect the institutional apartments, okay? These are not single-family homes in A areas very much, okay? It's mostly lower-end workforce apartments where the people that have been highly affected by the unemployment problem live, okay? So waitresses, I shouldn't, that's, that sounds so sexist by today's standards. I better say servers, okay, <laughs> uh, because, you know, someone will shoot me or something. And so, you know, it's, it's a different market, okay? It's, it's not the market that is renting by and large with, you know, there's a couple exceptions here and there, obviously, but by and large, it's not the market that's renting the types of properties we're recommending. Right. So good stuff. Evan, closing thoughts. Let's wrap it up. Well, I just want to say our, our clients are just terrific. And I think they get this. You know, I was talking to one today, even while, while on vacation, I was talking to a great client who says, you know, I get it. And our biggest issue is, is, is inventory and we're getting more of it. But it's, it's really our clients get that what we have 
is a conservative investment that pays you well over time. In fact, I was telling this client, we were talking about just investments in general, and he has stocks and bonds and so forth. And I was telling him, I said, I kind of think, I said, this is just my opinion. But I kind of think of income properties, in some ways, it could be categorized as a bond because it's conservative, but it has returns much greater than stocks. Because especially the kind we sell, because it's low risk, right? I mean, we the replacement cost is is often greater than the price we pay. Now, that takes a while to explain all that, but but really, we have this great asset that our clients really understand, and that I just feel grateful for that, and grateful that we're educating them every day. Yeah, yeah, it's a multi-dimensional asset class, and it's it's the most historically proven asset class in the world. It's the most tax favored asset class in America. And taxes are the single largest expense in anybody's life. So uh, reach out to us if we can help you, 1-800-HARTMAN or jasonhartman.com. Also, we have our ongoing asset protection and estate planning webinar. A lot of you are taking advantage of that. That's jasonhartman.com slash protect. Also, our Alabama new construction properties at jasonhartman.com slash Sweet home, like Sweet Home Alabama. So you can check all that stuff out. And Evan, thank you so much for joining me. And I want to have you say something to our audience because you are a rabbi. Well, yeah. Wish them a Merry Christmas. That's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) Let me be perhaps the first rabbi to wish you a Merry Christmas. And uh, if you're Jewish, a happy Hanukkah. I know I have some several Jewish clients, a happy Hanukkah. Whatever your race, religion, ethnicity, we wish you a happy holiday season and joy of of being with your loved ones. And, you know, as Jason always says, we help you take care of the money thing so that you can really enjoy life. And we help you there. So enjoy. Just take care of the money thing. And with all the happy holidays wishes, I want to wish you happy investing. And thanks for joining us, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, hartmanmedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own. And if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.